four turtles, four brothers, genetically reborn in the sewers of New York, named after the great Renaissance masters, and trained as ninjas. Welcome to Now Playing's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Retrospective Series. Major League Butt Kicking is back in town. Starring our podcast hosts on the half shell, Jacob. He's lower than scum. He gives scum a bad name. Of course he does. That's why I hired him. Arnie. A nine-year-old trapped in a man's body. And Stuart. I'm being punished, aren't I? This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Righteous! Nova! Chevy Nova? Listener discretion is advised. It is time to seek our answers. And remember, go ninja, go ninja, go! <laughs> Today we're discussing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows, starring Megan Fox, Stephen Amell, Will Arnett, Brian T, Tyler Perry, Brittany Ishibashi, and Laura Linney, directed by Dave Green. This is Arnie, the co-host of Now Playing, who's here to rock steady, steady rocking all night long. Stuart in LA, and this is your host in the half shell, Jacob. Come on, no Sheamus? No love for the WWE? <laughs> I didn't know who it was. Strangely enough, I'm this weekend Arnie in Philadelphia at Philadelphia Wizard World covering for Marvelicious Toys and Star Wars Action News, and both Stephen ML and Sheamus are here. <laughs> That's not so odd. I mean, obviously they'd want to get out there and promote the movie, but that must mean that there's a really big Turtles contingent in Philadelphia. Unfortunately, I flew in like at 1 a.m. Friday morning, missing the red carpet press event that they had with, I think, just those two on Thursday night. Wow, the red carpet form. Okay. <laughs> For Turtles film. I, I'd never... <laughs> Yes, we are back at a franchise that I never wanted to return to. I'll be, I'll own that. I think we all have certain times when we're on a series where we just don't feel like we're connecting. I am still shell-shocked. I cannot believe it was only two years ago that I watched all those films. <laughs> I have completely forgotten. <laughs> Is that a pun? Shell-shocked? Well, no. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not, like, wa- <laughs> wanting to bang a gong, but yeah, that was the appropriate term for what I had gone through two years ago for a series I just couldn't connect to. And I think anyone that's listened to any of those shows could just hear me with my imaginary children and my twisted way of trying to find a narrative that I was just struggling, just drowning, really, in a franchise I had no business watching. I knew that there would be a sequel, but somehow I hoped that the world would end before we'd ever get it. (laughs) 
So I have to ask, are your children back? When we ended with the last 2014 Mutant Ninja Turtles, you'd flushed them to go hang with the turtles. And I need to know if you went sewer diving to bring them back for this review, or if it's just going to be you who already just admitted you don't like being here. Well, no, you know, I thought about this a lot. How can I help these guys out? I really did. I'm like, I want to make this the most positive experience for all of us that I can. So what can I do? My tack on it today was not to bring back anything that I'd done before. The children, listening to the old shows, trying to remember what happened in the other movies, re-watching any of the films in the franchise. I went into this as cold as possible. I didn't watch trailers. I didn't read reviews. I didn't want to know anything about this movie. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was some cartoon I was vaguely familiar with from my childhood and they just made a movie about it and I'm going to walk in and see what they did. And that was my attitude. I There are no children with me. There was nobody in my theater, frankly. There was about five people. Same with mine. And I, I went Thursday night, preview night, and yeah, there were about eight people in there <laughs> along with me. And you know what? I, I'm with you, Stuart. I didn't go back and rewatch anything. I l- did listen to our podcast for that 2014 film. I wanted to refresh my memory of what happened in that film without having to watch it. So I did listen to that after I watched this Turtles film. I rewatched the 2014 film and I listened to our podcast as Stuart, you may not have wanted to be here, but my God, I laughed my ass off reliving that conversation from two years ago. Yes, that was a pretty funny show. <laughs> was it? I, I'm glad it was entertaining. I, I get the feedback that usually when I'm at my most unhappy, people seem to enjoy that. So I imagine it would be a great show if that is the case. Lots of outbursts during the plot summary, which is always a good sign. <laughs> but of course, they've changed it up a little. I mean, yes, most of the participants are the same, but we have a new director. There's going to be new classic supporting characters coming on board. Is any of this encouraging for you guys? I'll say this. This new director, David Green. I've seen his one other film, Earth to Echo, which is a children's film, and I watched it with children. Mmm, real ones. As a E.T. meets Batteries Not Included, uh, as a found footage film, unfortunately, kids. Ooh! Doing a found footage film. You said some horrible words there, sir, that should not be said in front of children. Found footage and Batteries Not Included? Ugh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but you know what? Here's the thing. It was fine. If you're stuck babysitting, it could be worse. It had a lot of heart, which I appreciated. That is one thing I did not like about that 2014 Turtles film. It just, it felt grossly inappropriate for the age group it was going for. A lot of boner jokes from Turtles. So... This guy, seeing his other film that he's done, I, I can see he, he at least understands the level children are on. And so hopefully that's going to re- be reflected in this film. What was encouraging for me is that the writers, I read a lot of interviews with them. After all, I am still the fan of the three of us of this series. Though you did not recommend it, right? I mean, my memory is none of us liked that last movie. No, no. Arnie felt there should have been one Green Arrow, but he wouldn't give it (laughs) that Green Arrow. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay, good. But, I mean, I'm just a fan of the turtles of the three of us. And so I read a lot of interviews coming in. I didn't read any reviews, but a lot of interviews. And these two writers, Andre Nemec and Josh Applebaum, said that They were instructed coming in to treat this like a soft reboot. They're in the same universe, but they're kind of changing a lot of the background. They're trying to make this basically the cartoon series that I enjoyed when I was uh, early adolescent. 
in movie form. That was encouraging to me. And I got that vibe from the trailer. I mean, I knew there was Rocksteady and Bebop. I knew there was Krang. That 2014 film felt like they were ashamed of the concept that they had to bring to film. Like, we don't really want them to be mutants. There was talk about making them aliens. I don't know. Do we want them to be teenagers? I mean, there's all this talk trying to change things. It really felt, I did read an interview after I saw the film with these writers. They really were just grasped onto that cartoon sensibility and ran with it. That was their direction and that's what people love so why wouldn't they do that i guess there is some love for the first live action movie as well but my sense is nobody really liked secret of the ooze or that turtles in time so why not make a live action version of the 80s cartoon now i did see this here in philadelphia I didn't see it the usual thursday night screening i was flying i saw it friday night at 7 30 3D, nice theater, what I was told was the nicest one. It had the IMAX screen, although this wasn't on the IMAX screen. About one-third full of a big screening. I was surprised how few people were there. I was surprised how many kids were there. Really, really young kids. Like, I haven't had an audience this young since I saw, like, the Winnie the Pooh movie that came out in 2001. But remember back to the 2014 show, Jacob, I'm sure you listened to the show and remembered, Stuart, you probably don't. Yeah, you saw it one and a half times. I saw it one and a half times because they showed it in 2D and then they came in about halfway through and said, sorry, folks, and we don't have a fast forward button on our projector, something that many projectionists have then written in and said, "We those guys don't know what they're talking about, but... I saw it one and a half times in theaters. I have seen this one one and one third times in theaters. <laughs> mm. Don't see turtles in the theaters. That sounds like the message here. It doesn't work for you. <laughs> what happened this time? Went for the 3D showing. We all were like playing some kind of weird poker game about who draws the straw to pay the 3D prices. And I usually am the most pro 3D of the three of us, so I picked up a 3D ticket. I get in there. This is the closest I think I've ever been from watching a movie to recording. I left the theater about an hour ago. And throughout the entire previews, they had a weird thing here in Philly I've never seen. The time they listed of the movie is actually the time the movie started, 7.20. At 7 o'clock, the trailers started. And so we had 20 minutes of trailers, and the 3D wasn't working. I put on my glasses, I took off my glasses, some stuff was in 3D, some stuff wasn't. I'm like, ah, but when the real trailers come on at 7.20, I thought this was like some of that <laughs> silly, you know, fathom event bull crap. When the real movie comes on at 7.20, then they'll kick the 3D in. 7.20 on the dot, the feature presentation starts. It's ghosting like 3D. If you take your glasses off during 3D, that's what I saw. But I saw it whether my glasses were on or off. And I got to watch about 20 to 30 minutes of the film this way. And just everybody around me is like taking their glasses off. People are going out and exchanging their glasses. I know exactly what's going on. The projectionist is screwing the hell up. But I didn't have time to see another showing. So I'm just taking my notes and watching this <laughs> ghostly film. About 20 minutes in, nobody comes in. All of a sudden, it's like a switch flipped. Somebody turned on the 3D button. And I'm like, okay, good. Now I can see the rest of the film without having to squint and then they hit the rewind button and I just see the entire 20 minutes play backwards and I watch it all again <laughs> at least they knew how to rewind right <laughs> but not fast forward and there's just people chanting we want our money back I'm like ah, come on but yeah so I've seen this one 
and one third times the the one third I felt like Mr. Magoo. My attitude was I'm gonna once I'm ready to go to the show, I'm gonna walk up and whatever the next show is, that's the one I'm gonna walk into. <laughs> Again, I wanted to be in the best mind frame possible. I wasn't gonna rush to the theater. I was going to a matinee, so no matter what I saw, I was gonna pay the cheaper price. And I saw this IMAX 3D is actually when I could get my butt to the theater. And so I was actually happy for that. I do think that part of the joy of this movie will be the fact that all of the action is in 3D. And I guess when they're not ghosting, it looks pretty good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember with that 2014 review, Arnie said, if you're going to see this film, see it in 3D. So it sounds like perhaps that was the way to go this time, too. I think I did pay for it in 3D, but it ended up being a 2D showing last time. Yes, last time that is true. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. And let me just say... This is probably the best 3D movie I've seen since Mad Max, as far as the 3D goes. It was really well used. Every frame, the 3D is used in some regard. Plus, I like it when things pop out at you in 3D, and there's several moments of that, too. I give a strong recommend to the 3D. The movie? That's what we're going to talk about. All right, let's hear the plot. We'll get into Out of the Shadows. It's been a year since the Turtles saved New York City from the Shredder. But to keep their anonymity, the Turtles stayed in the sewer, and all the credit went to Vern Fenwick, the news cameraman played by Will Arnett. But Shredder and his Foot Clan have been plotting his prison break, orchestrated by Dr. Baxter Stockman, played by Neil deGrasse... Sorry, played by Tyler Perry. When the prison break is interrupted by the Turtles, Baxter decides to fire an experimental teleportation device, which sends Shredder to Dimension X. There he meets a talking brain named Krang, voiced by Brad Garrett, who demands Shredder's help in taking over Earth. Shredder must steal two artifacts, one from the Museum of Natural History in New York, the other from a Brazilian rainforest, and those will open a portal which will allow Krang's Technodrome to arrive and give him full control of the planet. To aid Shredder's quest, Krang gives him some purple ooze. Shredder injects it into his two new henchmen, thugs who call themselves Bebop and Rocksteady, and it activates a latent animal gene in their DNA, turning Bebop (laughs) into a giant warthog and Rocksteady into a rhino. Can't wait to talk about those chromosomes. (laughs) I loved it. (laughs) The two bumbling mutants succeeded in getting all the pieces, primarily because the turtles can't get their act together and fight as a team. But smart turtle Donatello gets a drop of the ooze and realizes not only can it turn humans into animals, but engineered slightly differently, it could turn the turtles human. Leader Leonardo says not to even tell the other two turtles, but this is overheard by airheaded turtle Michelangelo, and Raphael's temper splits the team in half. Also investigating the ooze is April O'Neil, again played by Megan Fox, joined by police officer Casey Jones, played by Stephen Amell. Jones was transporting Shredder when he escaped and has been put on unpaid leave, so he wants to catch Bebop and Rocksteady to get his job back. Finally, Baxter opens the portal, and Shredder goes to the assembling Technodrome to rule with Krang, but Shredder is betrayed as Krang freezes Shredder's body and puts it in storage. But NYPD Chief Rebecca Vincent, played by Laura Linney, realizes the Turtles are the only ones who can save the city, as the Technodrome is emitting a gas that is fatal to humans or just helps push the plot along something. So the Turtles come together as a team. 
Casey Jones fights and traps Bebop and Rocksteady, paving the way for Vernon and April to close the dimensional portal. Meanwhile, in the sky above the Chrysler building, the Technodrome is appearing in pieces and beginning to assemble. The turtles battle Krang's robotic body, and in the nick of time, Donatello uses a remote control airplane to grab the beacon that was calling all the Technodrome's parts and send it back through the portal. Krang is defeated, sent back to Dimension X with his Technodrome and presumably Shredder, and the turtles are hailed as heroes by the NYPD. But they choose to keep living their life in the shadows, unsung heroes, as credits roll to a new version of the 80s cartoon theme with a little vanilla ice thrown in for zest. Oh, really? Yeah. Go, Ninja, go, Ninja, go. Oh, Go, Ninja, go, yeah. Ninja, go. I thought you meant he was singing. I assume they, they used his vocals. Sounded like him. For the whole thing? No, just for the Go, Ninja, go. Yeah, I don't care about that. I'm, I'm, nah. <laughs> you, you do not want to hear vanilla sing. Rap, yes. Sing, no. Mm. There's actually two Vanilla Ice songs in here. Did you guys hear Ice Ice Baby, too? Yeah. And even though I've tried to repress it, I do remember that he was a big part of the climax of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze. So they're making a (laughs) reference. And I think not the only one. There's some ooze in it. It's not green, but they're calling back to a lot of things that I remember, even though I remember almost nothing. They really tried to do a callback. Judith Hogue had a cameo filmed for this movie (laughs) just in the last week or so. It ended up on the cutting room floor, but she was supposed to come back. The original April O'Neil. I want the Hogue cut. (laughs) (laughs) So this movie starts off and the turtles are doing just this massive dive from the top of the Chrysler building into the sewers, out of the sewers, and to Madison Square Garden to watch the Knicks. It's an opening that reminded me a lot of that animated TMNT film, and I'm going to start by giving the film a compliment. It films New York beautifully. The 3D, everything. I'm in Philadelphia. I wish I was an hour's train ride away and in New York City right now. No offense to Philadelphia, great city, but New York's my favorite. I will say that there was a lot of complaints with the last film with just how it looked, skin tones, all that. I think that's all fixed here. It doesn't look so garish. Yeah, the, the city looks great. The one thing, and maybe it was easier to follow along in 3D, but all these going into suit. I don't know how you start in a sewer and end up in the rafters of Madison Square Garden. <laughs> I don't know if there's a sewer that connects to it, but it was hard to follow. But maybe in 3D, you could follow that movement easier. No, I just assume they (laughs) flew. I mean, they're not moving like ninjas. They're moving like CGI creatures that have no gravity. But this stuff is great. I mean, I'll use that word. I I do think that. Wow. You pulled out the great word. Yeah, no, I do. There's no reason when I'm seeing the beginning here to have any ill will. Maybe the Nickelodeon sign, but the Paramount sign with the (laughs) Chinese throwing stars, all of that, I feel like, yeah, I can go with that. I'm waiting for the shoe to drop, and it does not drop. The pizza drops, but the shoe does not drop throughout this movie. I really am surprised at how few of the problems I remember having I'm confronted with. And watching this movie. It's not just that Nickelodeon sign. Did you notice all the production companies, Alibaba, Chinese media? I I really feel that we got this sequel because it did well overseas. I think it broke even here in the U.S., maybe not quite even. But I do feel this has been simplified, especially for overseas audiences. And I do agree, all the problems I had, the characterization of the turtles, Shredder, everything's going to get, I don't know if I want to say fixed, because that makes it sound like it's perfect, but it's all been improved. 
improved in this one. Simplified, streamlined, they really are going back to that 80s cartoon. And you mentioned overseas audiences, and I remembered the conversations we had about previous ones and Michelangelo's use of nunchucks because that's like almost X-rated to the UK. Uh, he never uses his nunchucks here either, right? There's a garbage truck that has some nunchucks, but... No, he, he uses them, like, once. But you know what? Like, the Foot Clan, they're gonna be ninjas this time, not dudes with guns. Like, I do feel like there's less violence in this one, though. You are right. I think we get one scene where they all pull their weapons out. During the montage where they're speeding off to the basketball game, they do a freeze frame on each one with a little titling to remind you who they are and why they're important. I appreciated that. I had forgotten what color matched up with what name but at no point do they show you their weapons to this day i can't tell you what each is weapon is but i do know who they are and what color their bandana is so i think it is a de-emphasis off of that weaponry yeah i really paid attention um, i saw leonardo uses big swords raf uses his size donatello's all over the place with that bow staff that he's added like a taser to <laughs> yeah, it's like a lightsaber at this point but it is back to that 80s cartoon i mean in that cartoon they had swords and things they weren't cutting stuff up unless it was like a robot here the swords and the size are used to impale the sides of an airplane so they don't fall off the nunchucks are used almost like a rope so somebody can hang on to them but no they're not here to cause harm the last movie was not aimed for kids i didn't feel this movie strongly aimed for kids there's not going to be much violence not much weapons not much ninja yeah that's what i would say is if last time they were hedging their bets whether they were teenager or not this time i do feel like it's really are they ninjas? They're ninjas in the sense that they live by a code in which they must live in the shadows. And so their big drama here is that they have to be satisfied with being the heroes of New York that have to watch basketball games from inside the Jumbotron, while Fenwick is the one that gets to take all their credit. Yeah, with that last Turtles film, we were talking about like Nolan's Batman trilogy is the mood. Here, it's very different. And, and I do love, like, we get this recap on the Jumbotron of the last film i'm like what this is weird go to the nba playoffs and they're going to tell you how like new york is almost destroyed by gas but no it, it's all there because fenwick the falcon i don't remember if you went by the falcon if we had that nickname but yeah he's the one that took all the credit i don't think we're ever showing that no but he's taken all the credit for saving new york i have no idea where he got the nickname the falcon we never did see him get the credit but you know what? I do like Will Arnett, and I think he's given much better things to do here. He plays smarmy well. He's playing much like the Job role from Arrested Development, only instead of the final countdown and the magic that goes wrong, here he's the Falcon, and every time he gives a speech, it goes wrong. Yeah, I mean, that last film was about him and Mikey talking about April's ass the whole time, it felt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that film just upset me with how sexual it was for a Turtles movie. But yeah, here, I love that he's always trying to cash in on this fame. He's blowing air into Ziploc bags to sell for $200 a piece. Can we make that like a donation drive reward? <laughs> I thought that same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants that. So much easier than recording a bunch of podcasts. Yeah, hot air. Guess you could call some of the shows that, but I like them. <laughs> but yeah, what we're seeing here is a, a huckster, but one that is they're in on. I mean, I think what's nice about it is is that while he is 
hogging the limelight and really over-enjoying it, a fame that he didn't earn, it was the agreement he struck with the Turtles because they aren't prepared for celebrity. They don't feel like the world would celebrate them. And so they had to find a human. Now, they could have gone with April, I suppose, but they chose Fenwick as the person that saved the day, and they just kind of resent it now. Or it seems like half the team does. Mikey and, and Raphael are the ones that really feel like, man, that's not right. Although I think they all take shots at him with the pea shooter and the spitballs. Yeah, my reading is, you know, it, it's a common trope in, in comedies, especially like you say, okay, you could take the credit and then they go way overboard or, you know, you, okay, you, you could take a shot at me and then the person goes way overboard with it. It's just Fenwick just, just goes so overboard taking the credit. I could see why the turtles would resent him and shoot spitwads at him. I was wondering why they were shooting the spitwads. They had an agreement. They couldn't be given it. I thought it was a little juvenile for them to be shooting spit wads but this movie is juvenile so oh, yeah i didn't realize that when i was watching the first few minutes and all this was happening looking back at this movie as a whole it fits right in to just show if you find shooting spitballs at people funny and if you believe there's going to be hard-hitting news interviews on the court of a knicks game <laughs> then this is a movie for you all the hardball investigative journalism is actually being handled elsewhere over at grand central station where we have another returning player megan fox someone that i never have a good vibe when i think of but i want to just say right now let me be the first and maybe the only one she's absolutely adequate in this movie at no point <laughs> is she bad. I think that's what Arnie said last time is that was her best role. Arnie, does she improve here? She does. Last time I gave her the biggest compliment I could ever give her of not ruinous. <laughs> here, I'll go to average. <laughs> Here's the thing. Last time, she was our point of view character. We learned about the whole circumstance. We built up to the reveal of the turtles through her point of view. She's not an actress that can carry that. But... What she's being asked to do in this movie is simply kind of just relay information. She's going to go and be like calling them up. Oh, I found this out. I found that out. Because we already established these relationships and they don't want to bring back that sexual tension, then it really just feels like she is a side character. You know, she's going to have one moment to do what she was hired to do, which is put on a midriff and strip and stride and be sexy Megan from, what, I feel like eight or nine years ago. But otherwise, she's very much a peripheral character. She's part of an ensemble. I mean, one of the things with this film, and maybe because it is for children, like definitely for children this time, is it's just going to take leaps in storytelling. April calls up the turtles and like, hey, I'm following Baxter Stockman, Tyler Perry's character. Hey, Donnie, I have that watch and I'm going to download all his emails. Huh? Why? Why is she investigating? Who knows? I didn't even know she was still a news reporter from the end of the last film. It's just like, this is just the status quo now. Yeah, she was fired in the last film, if you remember. I couldn't recall even just rewatching if she got her job back but yeah this movie's gonna jump you right into it and it helps again that i knew the comics and the tv shows baxter stockman is an evil scientist from there who his primary claim to fame was he made these really cool looking little mouser droids the mousers yeah yeah those things are awesome designs from Eastman and Laird. Yeah, and depending if they go with the comic book, he's going to turn into a cyborg, or with the cartoon, he'll turn into a fly, perhaps, in the next one. Yeah, I like the fly one, from, but that was more what I grew up watching. But this movie is chalk 
full of characters. I just want to say there's too many characters in this. This is like a full season's worth of villains and good guys all coming together. And so, yes, we don't have a whole lot of time. We're introduced to the Turtles in Freeze Frame. We're introduced to April very quickly. And yes, when did... Tyler Perry turn into Neil deGrasse Tyson. As soon as he took the dresses off? Yeah, I can't imagine better casting for this role unless they got Neil himself. Better casting? He is the worst one in this movie. He's the <laughs> one complaint I have for this movie is that even in a cartoon, he's overacting. Megan Fox is showing him up in their scene together. <laughs> he is a terrible, terrible ham. And I'll give him props in Gone Girl. They used that so that he could play a charlatan lawyer and it worked to his advantage. And of course, David Fincher does 100 takes, so he's going to find the take where you're good in it. But here, no, this is a horrible performance and the worst thing about the movie. But thankfully, as you point out, Arnie, he is just a small part. Yeah, I don't know if I could say he's the worst. Again, this is such a children's movie. I feel with some of the voice acting we're going to get later, it's all kind of over the top. And so to have him doing, I feel like he's just doing Eddie Murphy's Nutty Professor in this film. <laughs> like, it doesn't bug me. There's a couple of times where his laugh <laughs> did remind me of, like, Eddie Murphy's character in Bowfinger. He's no Eddie Murphy. He could be a 2016 Eddie Murphy, because Eddie Murphy ain't Eddie Murphy anymore. But here in this movie, he looks like Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's trying to play the smart scientist role. April O'Neil is undercover wearing glasses. And a blonde wig. There's this big brouhaha on the internet about fake geek girls who are just, you know, bimbos and they put on glasses and pretend to be nerds because it gets them attention. And here Megan Fox is definitely nerd or geek. Yeah, she goes into that. It turns out I'm a geek, not a nerd. I am Comic-Con, not TED Talk. See, I like both. I don't know what that makes me. Nerd. <laughs> okay. <laughs> The geek has spoken. <laughs> and again, she has this special watch that Donnie gave her that she's going to use to download all of Stockman's emails. Used once. I don't even know what kind of device he's using. It looks like those old, weird, like, Palm Pilots or something, but... I thought it was a BlackBerry. Yeah, it, it looked like not new technology, but she doesn't get all the emails. She has to be within, like, three feet of it, and one of his henchmen comes and takes the device, so... Apparently, she just can't walk behind the dude and download him. She's got to, like, strip because there's, what, half-naked cowgirls in this, wherever they are, train station? There are tourists that are Britney Spears fans, apparently. Again, all of this is, like, <laughs> ten years past the prime, including Megan Fox. I'm like, but okay, no one's wearing that anymore. But yeah, they want to take a picture with anything that's associated. So she puts a hat on the guy and... And they think that he's a cowboy and it, it it impresses them. Look, I get it. You want to show off everyone's best skill. This is Megan Fox's best skill. <laughs> Stripping. So, yeah, I, I think it's fine that they did this. I mean, it's better than in Transformers where she has to, you know, lay across a hood that's hot enough to fry an egg and look sexy. You know what, Stuart? I, I am going to kind of give you that because I feel like the way it's shot, it is kind of tongue in cheek. It's not. Well, it's exploitive, but it's yeah, yeah, it's not that Michael Bay Transformers way. I'm kind of laughing over how absurd it is that she's grabbing a skirt and putting her skirt 
over another skirt so she could change into the schoolgirl. Yeah, I, I liked the ogle cam, though. They still did, for the older boys in the audience, do the slow pan from knee to breasts. And, man, she looked good in that, you know? I... I'm not complaining that they put her in that midriff-bearing short skirt. I'm only complaining that she then wore, like, sweats for most of the movie. <laughs> you know, you give her one thing. To do it anymore, and it would be gratuitous. It would be what Michael Bay used her for. Here, they're just reminding you that, yes, Megan Fox still has whatever she ever had, and she uses it in this moment. But she will fade into the shadows. This movie's called Out of the Shadows. She's going to be put in those shadows because the focus is going to be on the turtles, and everyone else is just sort of floating in and out. And, and this is a compliment. I know it sounds like an insult, but I don't feel like there's a lot of characterization here. They're not going to spend time on arcs or development. That's not what they're trying to do here. They're trying to keep the movie light. They're trying to keep the movie fast, yet coherent. And they're trying to make us care about our central protagonist. Stuart, you're finally understanding what I like about Armageddon. That's that entire movie. Well, here's the thing. I haven't seen it and don't plan to. But one other thing that I'm noticing here is even though Michael Bay is still producing this movie, he is not editing this movie. It is longer for a Turtles movie. I think it runs an hour, 48 minutes. And that is because 18 minutes allows you to have normal pacing of a movie. If this had been in Michael Bay's hands, they would have cut it down by 20 minutes and it would have been much harder to follow. But here, I feel like there is a zippy fast pace, but not the incoherent baziness I associate where things are cut so quickly and wall to wall with so much pop rock music that I literally can't tell what's going on. I am going to ding it a little bit on the characterization. You're right. There are a lot of characters. When we get to the Turtles, and we'll talk more about them, I feel like I do need a character arc with them. That was a complaint last time, is that they don't go through anything, and they start to give them a character arc here. We'll talk about how it gets resolved. But yeah, we're going to add some more characters. Shredder's returning. He's not a robot chicken, though. And he's not even the same actor. We have a new actor playing Shredder. He is not going to punch your fist with his face and hurt you. That's a downgrade. I like that one part. I did too, I must say. And I don't remember it, and I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> this is Brian T. We've reviewed him in The Wolverine and Tokyo Drift, so he's an actor, not just a guy who's going to play a suit, although he also doesn't have much to do here. He's going to glower quite a bit and remind me a lot of, again, the cartoon. I just wish he'd gotten a purple outfit. Yeah, I was waiting for that purple outfit, but yeah, he's locked in a truck with Rocksteady and Bebop. I love, like, Rocksteady. That's, he says straight up that is his name. Like, Bebop, I feel that character, like, he kind of does a beatbox thing and came up with that, but Rocksteady's like, yep, that's my name. I'm Finnish. And then they pull out a pretty awful pun. But where is William Fickner's character? Was he supposed to get a cameo? Is he in a cell somewhere? We never saw him again. Remember, he got on a helicopter and left and wasn't even in the climax last time. He was the businessman. Oh, yeah. Who set the fire and everything and vague, vague, vague memories. You know what? They are trying to reboot from the last time. They're not going to remind us too much. I honestly came into this feeling like this should have been called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 Contractual Obligation to get back Megan Fox, Tony Shalhoub, and Will Arnett. Not Johnny Knoxville. They didn't get everyone back. No, they did not. The voices of the turtles switched up a little bit, but... I do think now they're just trying to distance themselves from trying to convince us the Poconos have snow-peaked mountains that end in Times Square. Which I am fine with. 
<laughs> Good instinct. Yeah, everything you're saying is making me clench. I agree. Come into this cold and you're going to enjoy it a whole lot more. Try to connect us with why William Fitchner is not in this anymore. And I'm just reminded of terrible things. I mean, I barely feel like this is a sequel. They did use the same character models for the Turtles. Although, Michelangelo, did you guys notice? We talked about it on the last show, how he had seashells instead of gold chains. He got gold chains this time. Yeah, I did notice that. But notice there's no number two in this title. And I definitely think that, yeah, they're just trying to make a new Ninja Turtles movie. And despite the fact that I disagreed with a lot of Jacob's complaints last Mutant Ninja Turtles movie about how creepy the Turtles were, there was a little bit of creepiness. Their voices are lighter. They've gotten away from, yeah, we're going to watch you. Mikey was the kind of the weirdest one, and Raph was yeah. kind of a wannabe Batman. And now they've really simplified them and made them more friendly. I feel kind of bad for Mikey because he totally gets friend-zoned by April in this one, whereas last one I felt he might have a little chance. I'm okay with it. He rather would go to <laughs> Halloween. I think that's a better goal for him. He just wants to go out there. It's Halloween night, and, you know, everyone's out there. If there's one night that you can be a turtle, and walk among the people, it would be there. He has a little cameo with Bumblebee from Transformers, or at least a guy dressed up as Bumblebee. A Bumblebee that could actually talk. They fixed that too. <laughs> a, it's Michael Bay reminding you that he made Transformers. And B, it's reminding you that these turtles, it's not about love. It's just about respect. That's what he really wants. He just wants to belong and feel like he fits. And I think that's because Splinter just don't cut it anymore. This was supposed to be their mentor right? He feels like the old roommate or something like that. They need to kick this rat out of there. He doesn't do anything. Splinter was about to dissolve into Nirvana. Like there was the countdown, <laughs> like 10 seconds to Nirvana and the turtles blew it. Like they could have evicted him into Buddhist heaven. And no, they come roaring back into the lair. And again, like, I don't think any of these jokes are really funny. Maybe children found them funny. I guess I heard a few people laughing throughout the film, but yeah, Splinter doesn't have much to do in this film. My audience was full of like five-year-olds and seven-year-olds. And when they weren't just talking about nothing related to the movie, they were laughing with the movie. So the humor worked for them. To me, it was a, the most obvious of jokes. It, it, they should have said you were five seconds away from Nirvana because 10 seconds away meant 10 seconds for me to wait for what I knew was going to happen. But I thought it was odd. He's not really their ninja master here so much as they call him dad yeah that seems to be the relationship that he's like the dad that lets them live in the basement or whatever and leo still will go to him and ask advice but i feel like the other ones don't even look in his direction the entire movie i feel like he's just somebody that's in the background yeah, I mean, we get a thing from Leo talking to Splinter like, I just don't feel like I'm a good leader. I feel like that is every Turtles movie because Leo's always got to be the leader and got to learn how to lead him. Okay, we're going to do that again. Oh, they do everything again in this movie. And I understand this movie's not aimed for people who are even old enough to be around when the Turtles went back in time and ninja wrapped and were puppeted by Jim Henson. But to me, as someone who's gone through this retrospective, I'm like, oh boy, we're going to have to see them get along as a team and as brothers again. Raphael's going to have a temper again. They're not breaking new ground here. But if I take out the knowledge that I've seen this so damn often before, they're doing 
doing it fine. Yeah, I don't know why you would want them to have other complexes. I mean, this is what the characters do. My only memories are that they behave this way, and they're behaving this way consistently, so to me, that feels like they're doing something right. Well, they're just doing the same finger quote character arc over and over again i will talk about how this gets resolved but what's so weird is they go and they see splinter they know that shredder's gonna be on the move they know stockman has some plan because april was able to read a couple of the emails before they like erase themselves so they know they need to go stop shredder from being broken out of prison but they have to go and check in with dad here and make sure it's okay that they do this which seems weird to me just go save the day well how many times have they gotten wrapped on the knuckles for doing this kind of stuff, especially the last film. Remember, they weren't supposed to be heroes. Here, it's another shift in direction. He's like, why are you wasting time asking me? Go stop them so they break out the turtle van. My impression here was now they go out at night and they save the day. They, they've graduated. And that turtle van, man, I never had one of those as a kid. I wanted one. That was like the big thing. They've gone all out here with this mechanized garbage truck that has nunchucks coming out the side and projectile manhole covers. This just feels like a turtle's toy that if they aren't selling and I haven't looked at turtle's toys in 20, 30 years, they need to be selling. Well, what's so weird is I do remember they introduced the turtle van at the very end of that last movie and it was just like the toy for as much like the cartoon and the toys this film is they did change this van up it's this garbage truck now but again it's goofy it's got like big old nunchucks that michelangelo is gonna swing i love that there's a punching bag in there and raf is just sitting there punching it because he actually just wants to go out and beat up ninjas there are little moments in here that i like i like the flames on the side that was a nice touch too i mean you might think that this could just be another new york garbage truck but with those flames coming out of the <laughs> side no it really can only be one yeah this is a child dream if i were a a kid i would instantly demand this toy walking out of this theater they've done a great job of selling the fantasy of a garbage truck that is a secret weapon and going into battle against shredder that's where we want to see them the movie's paced right it's got the right vehicle and it's got a pretty good fight here yeah the one thing that tells me michael bay's involved with this are these cars you know there's all these police cars escorting the main prison van and these ninjas go and they put explosives and they all go off at the same time and these cars flip it's like i've seen this in transformers not a hundred times but i guess like four times because that's how many films there's been but it's high quality production i'm actually complimenting you know bay is known for explosions and for as kitty as this film is gonna feel like during this whole breakout scene it does feel pretty gritty at times it's the only time the action gets pg-13 because i was surprised they blow up six cars and so that means we we have a minimum of six fatalities. Cars weren't driving themselves and... No, they didn't blow up. They flipped. And so it's... I presume that the drivers were totally alive. They... I don't imagine burning bodies inside. They flip and, and are tossed off the road. A couple flip and are then rammed and then flip again by the police vehicle that's transporting Shredder, Bebop, and Rocksteady, who I just want to clarify, they're human, Bebop and Rocksteady at this point. But this truck is transporting them. Cars, there's explosions, they flip, they get hit. It's got to be the reason this movie's PG-13. There's nothing else. They barely even curse. During this scene, they curse. Casey Jones, our first time being introduced to him in this new series, played by Arrow's Stephen Amell. He actually says, son of a bitch, or something like that. It's, It's the only cursing we get. 
yet. Yeah, I don't know why this movie's PG-13. I'll just lay it out that cold. It, there's no reason I would have no problem taking a 10- or 9-year-old to this movie. I, I wonder if it's what's for coming up soon, but yeah, there's this whole breakout thing where th- there is one flub that I noticed. Baxter Stockman's like watching a video relay of this because he's supposed to do something. He's supposed to help Shredder break out, and he's like, we gotta stop the turtles in that truck. And no one's supposed to know about the turtles. Yeah, how does he know there's turtles? Again, I think it's a flub, but it's noticeable. I know he's orchestrating this whole thing, but yes, that he said we have to stop the turtles. Again, cartoon mentality. Shredder and the turtles have been fighting for years, not just once, and Baxter knows about them, and all the bad guys know there's turtles and the good guys don't. Uh, Brett, yes, you're right. Perhaps Shredder told him. Yeah. Shredder's going to be transported to another dimension where he's not even going to be phased by seeing a talking brain, and all he's going to say to the brain is, there are these turtles who are going to try to stop me. So, you know. It is so jarring. They're like, if we can't get him to the extraction point, we'll bring the extraction point to him and i'm like okay they got this helicopter that's what they mean no there is going to be a portal so people could jump through time and space to get to different areas that's what they do with shredder who goes to you call it dimension x in the plot summary i guess that's because what it was called in the cartoon i don't know if they name it that i would have loved that if they would have just said straight up this is dimension x but it is jarring all of a sudden there is a talking brain talking to shredder again these are these weird cuts where like there is no setup it's just like children you like this in your cartoons we're just gonna move fast here children i love krang i actually think i won't use that (laughs) word love a lot in this review but this i love the design of it the whole thing the realization i vaguely remember the cartoon character it always looked like a piece of gum in a microwave in some teletubby but this is i think a great visual representation he looks really great in 3d and my one complaint is we just don't get a lot of time with him it must have been expensive to do or something he's here in this middle part and he's going to have like two more scenes and and barely register in the movie but he makes a great impact when you see him no if this film could like really grasp and and hone in on this kind of craziness that is the turtles because yeah there's that original comic book which was a parody of daredevil and was dark and gritty but look these are turtles and brains that talk, and we're going to get a rhino and a warthog that are going to talk soon. Like, hone into that craziness and own it. That is one compliment I will give this film. That 2014 one was ashamed of all this stuff. They're going to run with it here, and I think it's better for it. I was wondering how they'd pull off Krang. I was wondering if they'd put him in, as Stuart called it, the Teletubby body, the robot body. The voice is Brad Garrett from Everybody Loves Raymond, and... I don't think they used his voice correctly. You wouldn't know it was him. It was just a vocal voice. Brad Garrett, he has that really deep voice he can use, and I didn't catch that with this Krang. I didn't care for some of the slapstick, like when he's telling the robot to put him back inside the robot's little hatch there, and the robot punches him in. Some of that, I'm like, why would you have a robot that abuses you? Because there's kids watching this movie. Yeah. Yes. Better than that than Wheelie. I mean, we all know that this is what Bay does and what he finds funny. It's just not as abrasive. Again, if Bay were actually directing that, we would have had more of that and it would have been cut faster with a big loud rock song and then it would cut to Megan Fox's boobs. You know, that's it it would just be so much more. I kind of want that film now. No, you don't. It's called Transformers. 
Yeah, you're making me really want to go watch Transformers again. <laughs> well, then have at it. There's plenty of them to do. I'm grateful that we have someone that is going to do the Bay universe, but not do it in Bay's style. I think my biggest problem with Bay is really that, yeah, he just, it's the editing. And, and that is what's so clear here, is that I don't mind the silliness when it's just not cut so aggressively. But I think things are introduced aggressively here, like Krang. Like, all of a sudden, you're just in this dimension, and it's like, here is the video game cutscene there are three pieces you need to collect you already have one now you need to get one at the museum and one in brazil and baxter will know how to put them all together which is i think the plot of every transformers movie too right there's always some doodad perhaps i don't remember them <laughs> they, they gotta like get it from the arctic or something like i always feel like that's the plot run and go get this magical thing i mean it's a transformers leftover plot this movie is not original. I'm not trying to give that impression. What I'm complimenting here is it's coherent. My problem with it, though, you keep mentioning the pacing and things. This movie, I feel like I need a breather. You know, it just keeps throwing shit at me. And it's really a dichotomy because so much is happening and it's so loud all the time. And yet there's so little plot to give a shit about. But yet it feels like I've walked into the middle of romper room after candy and caffeine time. To me, that is a Michael Bay movie all the time. I don't feel that with this movie. I feel it is a little bit dialed up. I mean, you do remember what it is to sit through a Michael Bay movie, right? Where the cutting is every millisecond. I mean, where there is always music playing. I watch Armageddon at least annually, but it, there's still quiet moments. And this movie, even when you've got, like, the team complaining, they're complaining by shouting at each other and flipping and grinding like on skateboards and Krang is popping out in 3D. I feel like this is a movie that could have used one or two dramatic scenes. Yeah, I mean, we're going to get, I don't know if you could call them dramatic scenes, like Casey Jones getting fired or put on leave because the chief asked him to describe the breakout. And he's like, well, there's these turtles there and, and Shredder did that. Like, no one believes them. I, again, I don't know if these are quieter, more dramatic moments. I feel like it slows the movie down when we're away from the turtles because ultimately, like we said, April, Casey Jones, they're not really big players in this film. It, it, that is kind of a disappointment what they do with Casey here. Did somebody have like blasphemous photos of Laura Linney that they blackmailed her to get her into a Turtles <laughs> film? Hey, did you want Whoopi to come back? It was the shock of the movie. I like Laura Linney. I followed her career for decades. And she, usually I think of her as a very respected stage actress. I've seen her in many plays. But every now and then, let us not forget, she has a Congo in her. And she will just make a, a silly, crazy Michael Crichton kind of movie. You could call it paycheck stuff. But I really, I listened to her one time and she, I really respected what she had to say. She's never embarrassed about any role that she takes. Everything you do builds your career. And that she would treat this role just as seriously as she would any other. I mean, not to say that the movie should be treated as seriously, but it's a job. And I don't think that she's embarrassed to be here she plays it straight i'll give her that and i just didn't know she was in this movie coming in it was a shock casey jones i didn't know he was in this movie this was a michael bay mandate the writers were like we have too many characters in this film bay just said you're putting casey jones in there go rewrite it and figure it out and that's why we have him here and i liked casey jones a lot from that first 
Turtles movie and a little from that third Turtles movie. Here we're going to get him as a police officer, not just a hockey mask wearing vigilante who's going to talk a little bit too much about hockey while on the job get fired, and then, yes, he's just going to go out on his own trying to track down Bebop and Rocksteady because he thinks beating up bartenders and smash well, smashing up the <laughs> bars of underground bartenders is going to be the path so he can not only get his job back but be promoted to detective. It's his one character trait is we're told that he's a hothead. And, I mean, he says that when he sees Shredder in the beginning. He's like, I hear you're a hothead. I am too. I don't know that he really works on that. I don't think that he's a changed person by the end. But was that always the characteristic of him? I couldn't remember. Well, before, no, he was just a vigilante. They never brought in this whole cop aspect. No, no, but what, did he have a temper problem? Did he have a... a... Yeah, he, he was a hockey player. Of course he had a temper problem. Okay. I mean, he had a whole <laughs> fight with Raph in that first film when they didn't get along and they beat each other up. I, I don't know. We're going to get one scene, really, with Casey Jones, the vigilante, in this movie, and, and that's about it. The rest is him trying to get back on the force. Yeah, the cop thing, whatever. I mean, here's where I think it works. If you have so many characters characters why don't you have him focused entirely on the other new characters his whole goal is to get rock steady and bebop shredder be damned i actually don't think he cares about the rest of this movie and krang and the whole thing being destroyed his entire focus for this entire movie is I'm the guy that is going to bring Rocksteady and Bebop to justice. So in that way, it simplifies him and it makes it, we understand where he's coming from at all given points. He's not stretched too thin, even though he's a thin character. And Bebop and Rocksteady, those two, I mean, we talked about their names. I love that they're going with that 80s look. Bebop has a freaking mohawk and is wearing the 80s glasses. He's got, yeah, those punk slit glasses. Yeah. And they have expressions from the 80s, too. I mean, when they were having the breakout scene, I did laugh a little when they were like, the roof is on fire. Because literally, there were welders on it, like, tearing off the roof. I mean, so, you know, that's that was just like a 90s, you know, that was something just shouted in the middle of a 90s jam. It just, they seemed st- perpetually stuck in 1987, 1988, whenever that cartoon came out. And again, if that's what they want to go for, I think that that's the ones we want to see. I mean, they tried to do this in Secret of the Ooze. Oh, come on. Don't even bring those two up. Right. They were like fake versions of those characters. And they were babies. Yeah, that's right. I Okay, yeah. But they were going there. They were trying, though. They were trying to get the Bebop and Rocksteady magic going, and for whatever reason, and they did it all wrong there. And here, they're going the whole way. They're bringing them in in human form. And just, I remember seeing this in the early cartoons when you had a couple of thugs who were going to get mutated. And here, Shredder comes back and he's got that ooze. Baxter does a cursory examination and Shredder's just like, crap, let's just shoot these two idiots in the neck. I, I do love that. <laughs> And I like that when they mutate, the explanation Baxter gives. Oh, I love this. (laughs) All humans in their DNA have one chromosome of what? An animal from which we descended? Yeah, we all have a latent animal ancestor in us. I love it. It's so stupid. This is coming from the scientist. Yes, from the scientist. (laughs) Neanderthals screwed a whole lot of animals. (laughs) You know, the writers for this movie do work on that really stupid show, Zoo. I don't know if you know about that, but it's about, like, animals attacking people every week. I mean, it's 
very stupid. Isn't that stupid? It's it's stupid. It's S-T-O-O-P-I-D. <laughs> and this just sounded like a holdover from that. I mean, they, what they don't know about animals, fill a book. I do feel like the writers just like, we can come up with something stupid because this is for children. And so we have latent animal DNA in us and give us some purple mutagen and we'll turn into whatever animal our spirit animal is. Sure. That's all I need. I just wonder, like, what would I turn into if I was injected? What is What animal did one of my ancestors <laughs> screw? To- <laughs> a duck. You would turn into a duck. <laughs> There's worse ones, but I do like that their look is completely, you know, it takes me back to the video games I used to play. It takes me back to that 80s cartoon. Yeah, that arcade game. Yeah, they. this movie's making me feel like 12 again. Yeah, no, I like the look because it's like that cartoon. They're not trying to do anything crazy. I don't like that they then look at their dicks. Like, that feels like a throwback to that first film. Actually, I like that. That made me laugh a little bit. i sure I knew you would. I knew you would. That's the kind of stuff I feel like we don't need, but there's always some stupid juvenile joke at the end of every scene in this movie. And while this transformation is happening, we have April O'Neil sneaking in there. I don't even know how. There's no security in the lobby. She just sort of walks in, sees it, figures it all out grabs the big purple vial of ooze and runs off to bring it back to the turtles. That's where we get Casey and her meeting. Yeah, and when she's running out, one character is there who is totally underserviced in this movie. She was in the last. It's a different actress this time. But Karai is here again. Was she in the last one? Yeah, she was briefly in the last one, too. Okay. And they don't make a big deal out of her, but she is here, and she's going to be April's nemesis. At the end, you know, we're going to have to have a girl fight a girl, and Casey Jones fight some mutants, and so this is why she's there, and... April does kind of shine her on a little bit by just standing there on the other side of the gate and like, ha ha. Yeah, no, that's what I'm talking about. There's always got to be a joke. Like, you, you get a thrilling escape, and then you get Megan Fox smirking at the camera. To be clear, you do not want this to be an adult Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right? I mean, I don't. I don't want non-humorous turd. I don't want, this concept is too stupid to ever be given the Christopher Nolan treatment. No, I don't want the Dark Turtle Rises. No. Absolutely not. You're right. I want better jokes, though. Like, yeah, well. They feel like they're written for five-year-olds. Write them for 12-year-olds, at least. I guess that's why Rockstead and Bebop looked at their dicks, because 12-year-olds would like that. But I just wanted better jokes. I didn't want the mood or tone to change. The jokes are all over the place. I did laugh at, you know, like, Raphael was just like, that's how I roll, this is how you roll. I mean, laugh is, you know, air quotes around that. But, you know, it's it's subjective. Humor is what you make of it. I think there are times when they're targeting right, and then there's times where, like, oh, you didn't even try. Like, turtle formation. Oh, I thought you said squirrel formation. I mean, some of it's just like, huh? But a lot of it, I think, <laughs> is hitting the target of where they want it to land, which is something a 10 to 15-year-old would laugh at. It is very scattered, and the thing about it is, for every joke that doesn't work, it's okay, give it 10 seconds, and there's another. Yeah, and I, and that's most comedy. I mean, I don't think that there's any comedy that tells 100% hilarious jokes. It's about the goodwill and the 
vibe. And I just want to put it out there. As the hater, as someone that has not enjoyed a single Turtles movie, if I were to be honest, I'm not having a bad time watching this. It's very formulaic, but I feel like this is what it should be doing. This movie is hitting the notes that it needs to hit. No, at this point, it's it's a recommend for me. Like, I've actually been enjoying most of it thus far. I mean, it, it's ridiculous that April and a cop with a hockey stick can take on ninjas, but I'm liking this stuff. I'm, I'm not thrilled with this Casey Jones when he puts on the mask. Again, this is his one real scene as that masked vigilante fighting these ninjas. It, it's fine. They could have done more, but I'm not hating this film like I hated that last one. I like that his mask has a purpose this time. He's always wore it as kind of an affectation. Here he's going to get a ninja star in the face and it's going to stick in the mask. It actually does him some good. And of course, when the turtles show up, it gives them a punchline. They can call him Friday the 13th. That was a good joke. I like that one. Yeah, like, like I said, most of the time I feel like they're more or less hitting it. And then sometimes you can just feel them being really lazy and not trying. But yeah, they lose. April had that purple mutagen. She lost it. The cops took it and they've locked it up in evidence. But now Casey gets to meet the turtles. He's going to go down into their lair, into the sewers. I did like that they had him attack Shredder. Yeah. <laughs> that was one legitimately funny thing. And you could just, it's set up a mile away. But when they're giving him advice on how to go in and go in low, and it's Shredder's one moment of personality here as he takes him down so easily. And just the way Mikey goes, we should have people over more often. You know, and part of why it's good is I actually feel like the motion capture is working. I'm not sure if we had puppets with the animatronic features, we would be getting the performance we need to to think that's funny. It's funny because we can see the turtles looking between them as they're egging this guy on into a fight he can't win. And I think I've gotten over the creepiness. I remember feeling last time, if I didn't vocalize it... My memory... No, your five-year-old was crying, you said. Yeah, they, they were frightening, and that there was something very unpleasant about these turtles. I don't feel that ever in this movie. I I don't know whether it's I'm used to it, I knew what to expect when I saw them, or they've tweaked it in a way that it makes it more accessible, but I think that all four of them are charming. They are tweaked. I definitely, having just rewatched that other movie, they were darker in the last one. They just simply had more dark colors on them here they're a little bit less imposing they're still huge turtles but their bandanas are more brightly colored they're a little bit more smiley they have a little more interplay so i think it's a little bit both an upgrade in the tech as well as just an improvement in the design to something less freaky yeah i i think definitely some of it's i'm just used to it now because they're still very busy costumes that they have them in so much stuff strapped to them but like i noticed donatello he actually had a very different build i don't know if he had this last time but it was noticeable this time he was much skinnier yeah i guess he's the nerd yep. and raf needs to lay off the steroids he's scaring me <laughs> he's so large in this one but there seemed to be some kind of subtle difference or maybe i'm just used to it but i was more accepting this time no definitely they made him thinner and maybe the actors have gotten better too you didn't name the real stars of this movie in your kickoff there arnie but truly it is the motion capture people that are giving us these lead performances and i think they deserve some level of credit here because, I mean, I don't think we would like them if they were just, you know, rubber masks. Good jokes or not, I don't think that it would work if we couldn't see the faces move. And that is their 
facial reactions being augmented by CGI. Well, would you like the turtles if they became human? Because they tease that here. Like, there's a little sample of that purple mutagen, and Donnie is able to, like, reverse engineer it. I do love that, like, if you have a trace of this, oh, now we can track you anywhere in the world. Like, they're going to be able to track Rocksteady and Bebop because they have this mutagen in them for reasons. <laughs> but they play with the idea that they could transform into humans. They, they hate that they can't go out during the day. They can only go out at night. They have to stay in the shadows. I thought they were going to play with this idea more. Well, it is called Out of the Shadows. I mean, I, I think it's there. It's a part of this movie. It is their dramatic arc. And it's what puts the wedge between the four of them is that two of them decide it would be a good idea and two of them decide that's not who they are. Well, Leo decides no one's going to do it. I just can't believe we're in X-Men 3 and we're discussing the cure again and like Mikey <laughs> and Raphael feel like they're rogue. Yeah, I mean, it, it. this movie does nothing but borrow from other properties and maybe it's inevitable. If you watch enough comic book things, you're going to just see the same things again and again and again. Vigilantes always struggle with how they are to identify with normal society. They live apart from it. They protect it. Why can't they ever be it? Uh, you know, I think that that is always going to be the dilemma. But that they have this plot device that gives them the potential to change is interesting and, yes, largely unexplored. I agree. They could have done more with that. It's really just sort of an idea that in the middle of this movie, Donatello and Leo are going to go off to get the doodad at the museum while the other two are going to try to rob the police station and get the ooze so that they can become human. And they do lie to the, here's the lesson for you five-year-olds, don't lie. Raph and Mikey, they're going to lie to April and Casey to get them to help them break into the police station and everyone's going to get in trouble. They're going to lie really poorly. Yeah, I don't even know that Megan Fox, I mean, she's giving a performance. She looks like she doesn't believe them. She's like, Leo told you to do this? She knows it's not true. But what they do is they, they shine on Casey. Casey, his hot-headedness gets involved. That They call him chicken, and that's all he needs to be like, oh, I'll, I can break in there, you know? It's because she's kind of outnumbered that she ends up going along with it. Here's where the movie starts to kind of, I feel, fall apart, because Donatello and Leonardo get to the museum after Shredder has already gotten there and gotten the piece, and here in the police station, there's going to be a whole lot going on with them trying to steal the ooze, but, well, they need the Falcon, Vern, to come back into the film. I thought that maybe Will Arnett was just cameoing at the beginning, but no, he's going to come back and be like the star power to distract the cops while they break in. Meanwhile, somehow the Foot Clan has just wandered in. It's kind of a good joke in a way that, you know, they're do they're going through all of this shenanigans. We see a montage of what it takes to get the ID badge to get them in there. Foot Clan's better than that. They're already beat them to the punch. Did you feel a little Mission Impossible with this whole break-in scene? Because these writers did do Ghost Protocol, and that was definitely on their mind. Not only did I feel that, I thought Ocean's Eleven, because they brought out the Elvis, a little less conversation. Yeah, it just felt like something from a heist picture. I didn't have any specific reference in mind. Again, this movie is nothing but a litany of quotation marks. I mean, everything we see is something you've seen before dozens of times. If you've seen as much movies as we have, you've seen all of this at least 30 <laughs> times. Yeah, and this all this police stuff, it just goes on too long for me. Yes. Like, I mean, we're going to get that moment where... The turtles are called freaks and monsters. We just did Hellboy 2, you know, a little while ago. Again, talking about those beats that are getting repeated. Like, they're going to get rejected by the cops, and they're going to run away, and April and Casey are going to end up in jail. I felt 
like that was a little topical and, and just the right emphasis. They don't overdo it. They don't get a hoodie. They don't say Ferguson. But I do feel like there is something, if you're talking about the young kids today, about cops and how they might be identified as outlaws and hated. I mean, I think that the little speech that they give about how they felt hated for the way that they looked was enough to just touch on the idea that we're dealing with as a society right now, that there is a real odds between the police and the people they protect and whose interests they serve. I did read an interview with the writers who said, we feel like this is the first anti-Trump movie. I, I feel like, you know, judging people because of their nationality and villainizing them, like that was something on their minds. So I don't think you're wrong with that. Yeah, and it's just enough. You don't want it too heavy. Again, I don't want a Nolan Turtle movie, but that this movie is about something does help. I mean, uh, it's not completely frivolous. Yeah, I didn't exactly get an anti-Trump message out of this movie, but... That's the writer's words. <laughs> They're just probably going on a press tour and, you know, they're liberal Hollywood, so they're going to be anti-Trump. Turtle lives matter, damn it. (laughs) I see a message of unity coming out of this, though. So in that way, I feel a little bit topical, too, is that they're saying they have to come together all in order to fight well because everything they're doing, they're kind of fighting against each other. It's not going to go any better for them when they go to Brazil. And my God, what a waste of a location. Why couldn't they just say the third piece was in New Jersey? I mean, there's no reason to go to the rainforest. Well, come on. They got to drive a tank. Like, I got excited. There's something about tanks. Go back to that Fast and Furious retrospective. (laughs) But yeah, when Rocksteady and Bebop are driving a tank through the rainforest, I'm like, Oh, yeah, stuff is going to get crazy now. No, not really. Like, they'll do a few things with that tank, but it's mostly all up in the air. Like, the turtles are flying to Brazil, and they're like, okay, we found them. Oh, they're in a plane. They're leaving. We got (laughs) to jump from our plane to another plane. I got to say, though, it's ridiculous. Like, yeah, this could have been anywhere. This is just a cartoon at this point, but I like this kind of action scene here. It's, It's fun. I actually think by them being motion capture, they can do more seamless kind of feel when the plane's exploding, they have this great moment where the tank is in the cargo hold of this plane and they use it to blow up the cockpit and the pilots go flying out or whatever. It's a G.I. Joe cartoon. Everyone has a parachute. Yeah, Mm -hmm. those were the only live (laughs) actors. But by having everything else sort of be a form of animation, as it were, CGI work, I feel like it in some ways feels more real. We're not distracted by trying to insert real people, flesh and blood, into a CGI world, it all feels homogenous. And so I actually found myself into these scenes. I actually felt like, yeah, I mean, them jumping out of the plane, the the, the irony that Raph is the scaredy cat and he's the one that has to think of Vin Diesel to make himself jump out. I think all <laughs> of that really, it works. I, I want a bracelet that says WWVDD. Yeah. I mean, again, there's where our joke kind of works. The pop culture references. This movie won't make any sense in 10, 15 years. But I think for the times now and riffing on what kids today would know, they would know Fast and Furious. And so this would be funny. I think we'll have Fast and Furious in 10 to 15 years still. Mm. Yeah, I think 10 or 15 years ago, people would say, yeah, in 10 or 15 years, nobody would know who Vin Diesel is. We still do. I'm not sure in 15 years we'll have movies, but we'll see. (laughs) I'm serious. Fair enough. It'll be a VR experience. But I'm getting exhausted at this point, guys. I understand this plane scene should be exciting, but I can't take any more. It's just constant action and constant escalation. What? 
How did we get here? How am I the one saying, why aren't you having fun with all this nonsensical action that has no character development? And you're saying, it gives me a headache. Well, here's the thing. There are moments that I like when they're jumping down to the other plane. And, you know, I'll, I'll even give it when Raph, like, crashes into the cockpit and his tongue's licking across the window. And That was in the trailer. And it, it, it's a great animation. It just looks funny. So I go with it. Yeah. And I love, like, like Stuart said, when that Rocksteady or Bebop shoots the tank and it blows up the plane. There's stuff that I enjoy. It's a lot of like, oh, we're fumbling around with this artifact and I got it. Now it's going to pop out of my hands and go into this person's hands. Like that goes on a bit too long. And it again, maybe if you're watching this in 3D and you're seeing all the depth, you can make more sense of it. But to me in 2D, it's just a color blur. Yeah, the 3D helps. I can't stress that enough. When people eventually see this on home video, it seems like they're not going to the movie theater, judging from this opening weekend box office, I do feel like they're going to miss out on a lot of what this movie does have going for it, which is that dimensional flurry. Yeah, like when they end up in the water after the plane crashes, again, they're doing more of these antics. Like that tank is going to pop out. I don't know where that tank was, but it just pops out of nowhere. Like I love that. But again, it goes on for a bit too long where it's just like, I got it. No, I got it. Oh, no, he's got it. Yeah. And I think that's the point of the scene is that they don't trust each other to hold it. They're going to make a big speech about that later on i don't think it's really gotten here they just inept mutant ninja turtles and i want to say that my vague memories of all the other movies i don't remember any of them being any better at that kind of stuff this doesn't feel like a marked decrease in tonal quality this has always felt like a chaotic thing that made it up as it went along and they just now have the money. God knows there's so much money up here on screen, but they can just actually achieve what they set out to do. Whereas that poor Turtles in Time movie, which I think I gave a green arrow to, I like the <laughs> aspirations, but boy, it was floundering under what it couldn't do with its budget. Yeah, no, this has got money behind it. I think things look pretty good throughout it. It's, it's just the antics go on a bit too long at times. That's all. Yeah, I feel like the movie itself is actually too long and needed either a little bit more character or a little bit less time because this whole period, I'm feeling like an action hangover. Yeah, we're going to get this whole scene with Will Arnett, you know, April and Casey Jones are being locked up and Rebecca Vincent, the, the chief, she's like, we got footage of April stealing from Baxter Stockman's laboratory. Here it is. And of course it's doctor. And they're like, April calls it out. It's doctor. Like she says it's, official like they, they've somehow authenticated that it's original video it's it's ridiculous she really did steal from them i didn't think it was doctored i just thought it was only one angle she broke in she stole something i mean <laughs> yeah but we're gonna get this whole scene of will arnett going to get the actual footage and again maybe children are laughing as he's pulling this cord from this clock camera and it's going around the whole room and it ends up right where it began big continuity problems in this too because i don't know if you noticed the clock in the background but at some points it's seven o'clock <laughs> some points it's six ten it's three o'clock when will arnett is there but again i had to remind myself i struggled to tell time when i was a kid if you are the age where you know how to look at a clock face and say what time it is you're probably too old for this movie i wouldn't say that but yeah i i'm not having fun with this scene other than the fact that i like will arnett i like what he's doing in this role i'm like oh god what kind of cable is that what kind of drywall is that i'm overthinking it and that's a problem 
<laughs> you're wondering about the drywall, okay. Yeah, you are. No wonder you're exhausted. You're thinking about chewing <laughs> like that. You're like, how can I rebuild this set? No, no. Why? How is any cable stronger than drywall? I have run a home theater wire. You could not pull it out like that. This is a common thing in comedies. You are way overthinking this scene. <laughs> yeah. I, again, I understand why you feel so exhausted. Here's why I feel exhausted. I don't know if that's the right term, but I feel like, you know, collecting the three bits to make the portal, I feel like that's that should be the first act. I feel like we don't have a second act in this film. The second act is the turtles go human for a day and realize how special their turtleness is. And I and I thought that was going to happen. They have the purple mutagen. I thought there was going to be a whole, like, I'm like, oh, what cameos? Is Ernie Reyes Jr. going to be one of the turtles <laughs> in human form? Like, to me, that's what you have to do with this film. you got to get them out of the shadows they're never going to get out of the shadows in this film i thought we were going to get that teachable moment where they learn that being these turtle freaks is okay and acceptable and they don't have to change but we're never going to get that we're going to go straight to the conclusion of the film i'm with you right there I, it's it's strange i mean it would be like little mermaid in which she never got legs it's like huh is this doesn't make any sense i mean you need for them to experience what they fantasized so that yeah then they can realize what they had all along they can appreciate it that would be the fairy tale mentality and I thought they were going to do it. I thought when they were standing around with that vial, they were going to chug and we were going to get that. But they throw it against the wall. All right. Forgive me for trying to add a little too much depth to this. But from what I've read with the writers and things, they actually wanted to talk about the real teenage experience. And in fact, they quoted, I think it was Eastman, maybe Laird, who said that they didn't want to call it Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles initially in the comic because they felt it was redundant because all teenagers feel like mutants. And there's one line that said in this movie, the only true acceptance is self-acceptance. And so it's like, I don't think they wanted him to be human because at no point can a real teenager who's maybe scrawny and wants to play on the football team have a fantasy of going and playing on the football team for a day and realizing that that's not all it's cracked up to be but but that's what you do in the movies the nerdy girl takes off the glasses lets down her hair she's the hot girl and she's gonna learn that being the hot girl isn't all it's cracked up to be like that is how it works in movies and fairy tales yeah it's how you dramatically show something that gives you something to do otherwise if it's all in his head that he just comes to the epiphany that oh no it's okay I mean, that happens in real life, too, but it's just not dramatically interesting. Who wants to just see somebody's eyes widen and go, okay, I'm going to make this choice? And I also think that there's an arc ending here. They were all having trouble trusting each other. And Leo was the one who had made the choice for all of them. We will not be using this. We will not have the cure we're not even going to tell Raphael and Michelangelo there is a cure and so now Leonardo stands there just as like we'll do whatever you guys want to do so Leo the leader is learning to trust his team and the team is then likewise learning to trust that Leo may be right in that this isn't what we should do yeah but I want to see him come out of the shadows and learn a lesson and we're not going to get that we're going to go into the conclusion now well they're coming out of the shadows as turtles they're coming out of the closet I suppose only to the end 
NYPD. Yeah, exactly. It is sort of a funny thing. And then there's a parallel story going on as well. I mean, keep in mind that Tyler Perry's character, Baxter, is doing it all because he wants to be famous. He's all thinking about how people are going to love him and he'll be bigger than Steve Jobs and Albert Einstein and any other scientist that ever was. Never mind that Steve Jobs, he may have been a futurist, but never designed a damn thing. Well, yes. We'll, we'll table that for now and just say that he was caught up in being out of the shadows as well and kind of gets punished for that. He actually is betrayed here at the climax as Shredder says, now that you've assembled all three little devices, I don't need you anymore and I'm hauling you away to Japan. Not an unexpected twist other than why taking him to Japan? What's in Japan? I... Maybe they're setting up a sequel. Oh, come on. This All this movie does is set up a sequel. Yeah, and Shredder gets the same treatment, which is nice justice. I mean, to see someone betray someone and then get that same treatment in the very next scene, there's, you know, there's a little bit of happiness for seeing Krang, what, I guess put him in carbonite and put him in the toy chest. <laughs> yeah, it makes it easier for the turtles to win. <laughs> One less person to fight. I imagine it would be upsetting if you wanted a ninja movie, though. If you wanted to see Shredder and the Turtles rematch, you really aren't going to get that in this movie. No, but I, I'm fine with bringing the Technodrome. Like, I'm loving that they're going to do the Technodrome in this film. Like, they open that portal. I don't understand why it's coming in piece by piece and that it has its own atmosphere around it. So only the Turtles can get close to it. Like, something we are just told. I guess that's why Casey Jones and April won't be up there helping them. They're going to be fighting Rocksteady and Bebop. Well, yes, it's coming in piece by piece because the portal's too small. And it's putting out this gas... Because we want the turtles to fight. <laughs> yeah, none of this that we're shown, we are just told, like, a line. Oh, there's a special atmosphere. Only the turtles can go there. Yeah, I guess because they're amphibious. I, you know, I again, <laughs> it's not important to understand these details in order to appreciate what's going on. Okay, they got to go fight this thing. I mean, I think we all get that. It doesn't really matter why. It's the weirdest part to me is that they, when they're talking about being human, is that they're going to be human, and yet they say... We'll still be the same on the inside, so the gas still won't affect us. We'll just look human. And they, <laughs> that's a really strange thought. Yeah, they should have just, that should have been an idea that they came up with. They should have just scrapped. There's no gas, atmosphere, whatever. That I don't know what they thought they were getting out of that, but it doesn't really come through. I mean, they could have still had the Air Force flying and just bomb the thing. You, you're in a plane. You have your own atmosphere in there. You could have had it underwater. If you wanted to make it why that it was important that they were turtles, put it underwater. Water, right there you go in the cartoon it was down underground so yeah you could have done something like that they know the sewers not to mention how many times have we seen a giant opening appear in the sky now i mean i wish i had a penny it is a michael bay production <laughs> this really was taking me back to like transformers 3 i'm like okay there's another thing above another city we have another group of just extras staring up into the sky. I did find it funny that they were filming it all on their iPhones, but it did feel so rote. So many times have we seen this, and I don't even know what the hell a Technodrome is going to do. I know in the cartoon, it was like a big RV that they lived in underground, but I don't know wh why a Technodrome coming to Earth is a bad thing. When it started to 
put out that laser, I'm like, oh, I'm watching Independence Day, but it's not out for a few more weeks. Yeah, I mean, all we're told is that it's going to take over the world. I guess it's super cool technology. Again, I love that they go with the cartoon aesthetic. It's got that big eyeball at the top of it. It's got the weird prods coming out of it that, yeah, I guess are going to shoot lasers. I Again, I will praise this film for just going for the cartoon aesthetic. Yeah, it's kind of satisfying to watch it assemble itself. I mean, there's something just visually striking about watching it come together as a ball. I didn't know what it was. You're saying this as a cartoon reference. I don't ever remember this from any cartoon I would have seen, but I didn't watch that much of the cartoon. Imagine a rolling Death Star, like a Death Star on tractor treads. Yes, Death Star with treads on it. <laughs> okay, yeah. But yeah, while the turtles are fighting Krang, it's not very interesting. We're supposed to believe, you know, that last film, they had to do that leapfrog move that showed that they'd become a team and they could defeat Shredder. Here, like the lesson is just be yourself everyone's different well we have donnie doing computer stuff because he's the tech guy everyone else is just fighting and none of this is exciting this is so animated so cgi i felt like i was watching a pixar production at times and the 3d it really is popping in 3d and i can't say it looks bad but i had a lot of trouble following it it feels like a transformers fight when you don't know who the good guy is from the bad guy they're just it's just spinning metal at one point he's like hugging them and spinning around and you just like you're just going with the visual of that it's not about what's happening i couldn't tell you what i i actually don't even know how they defeat krang at some point one of them <laughs> jumps up and cuts off his robot head and he falls down and i think that's it i mean yeah donnie sticks his electro staff in him and i guess it short circuits his robot body but the whole thing is they got to get there's a masterpiece that like draws everything in and they got to get that it's a beacon it's the homing device that tells all the technodrome pieces where to go I found it hilarious. Like Donnie's like, I got to find that piece. I got it. It's right above him the whole time. Yeah. And this is one of the things that I don't remember from the last one, but one of the upgrades that the turtles have gotten is that Mikey has a hoverboard. I mean, I guess we've heard all of that complaint about Back to the Future 2 in the last year. Mikey got a hoverboard and that's what's going to save the day <laughs> is he's going to put that piece on his hoverboard and all the pieces are going to chase after it, which means that they didn't really stop the Technodrome. It's still circling the Earth. It just won't assemble <laughs> over New York. Well, they're going to try to get it through the portal. Yeah, they sent it back through the portal and told Vernon and April to close the portal. So they sent the pieces back and then... Oh, okay. There's a lot going on. I didn't notice that. Yeah, I mean, Vernon, April, and Casey are down on the ground. Casey has, like, taped some wheels to his shoes so he could have rollerblades and play hockey with Rocksteady and Bebop. You might as well. I mean... You make that sound like a bad thing, but I mean, this character is... The only thing we understand about him is that he likes hockey, so why not give him a hockey climax? That's his character trait, too. I mean, the character's just a vigilante hockey player, so you gotta give him his tools of the trade. I was a little shocked that he throws a grenade in after Bebop and Rocksteady. I'm like, I thought he was going to kill them. But of course, they have to have one last line to let us know they're okay. They'll be back in the sequel. And I think that's good. You would not want children to think that their beloved silly, what are silly villains, were blown to shreds. I mean, that's, again, this movie is not violent. Yeah, Krang and I guess Shredder, they've gone back to Dimension X. The day is saved and the turtles... 
Again, they're not going to get to come out, but they will get a key to the city. We saw Vernon, he got his key to the city publicly. They're going to get theirs at a special ceremony at the Statue of Liberty at night with the NYPD. Can't only the mayor give out keys to the city? I didn't think police chiefs could give out keys to the city. Do keys to the city even mean anything anymore? Or did they ever mean anything? I don't understand the point of it. I was in Decatur, Illinois when Bruce Campbell was given the key to that city. And later at a Q&A, I asked him what it unlocked and he said he'd have to kill me if he told me. Yeah, it's a strange compromise. And again, I think that they're struggling with that message. On one hand, they're telling kids, don't be ashamed of who you are. Step out of the shadows. On the other hand, when you look at the Tyler Perry character, it's don't live with the expectation that you're going to be famous. It's not important that they see you as a hero. Just do a good job. And so you get both of those kind of in a waffling message here at the end where April is like doing PR saying, yeah, we were all saved again. you didn't even see who did it and it definitely wasn't Fenwick the Falcon but we're not going to show you who it is and it doesn't matter. Could you imagine that news report? (laughs) Yeah. uh, File that under flop and then you have (laughs) yeah the the cops yeah uh, there's a small what we understand is there's a small number of law enforcement that know and will work with the turtles in the future but by and large most New Yorkers have no idea that there is a squad of Ninja Turtles that serve on their behalf and that's the way the turtles want it they've reached that as the compromise raf himself says i don't want to be normal you know what fun is that yep until the next movie when he changes his mind again <laughs> but are we actually looking forward to this next movie i'll say this has been more positive than i expect so i really don't know jacob stewart are you gonna recommend teenage mutant ninja turtles out of the shadows Jacob? I'll be honest, I struggled with this one because, look, this is four, five-year-olds. Like, your little children are gonna like this, and I I think it's pretty safe for that younger group, which that last one, no way, no way would I ever show that to a kid. Wouldn't show it to my 12-year-old. This one, you know, for younger kids, I think they're gonna like it. I don't think they're gonna have the problems that an adult is gonna have. They're not gonna wonder about the drywall. My problem with it is, again, it's missing the lesson. I feel like they've taken the second act out of this film and just gone straight to the conclusion. There's a line where Leo is criticizing his brothers and I believe he says to Mikey something like you're all heart, no smarts something like that. I feel like yeah, there's not a whole lot of smarts here. The problem is there's not a whole lot of heart in this film. I was hoping this director who did that weird little batteries not included meets E.T. film, which had some heart in it. Like, as an adult, I'm like, okay, I get where the sweet moments are. I, I just, without that lesson of how the turtles are supposed to accept themselves, it just it loses something for me as an adult trying to appreciate this as a babysitting tool by watching it with the kids. That's really how I have to approach this one. I do like that they just full go for that cartoon aesthetic, though. Uh, But for an adult, look, again, children are going to like this. I'm going to give it a week, not recommend, just because I wish it had that second act. That's missing where the lesson was actually taught. Stuart. And I'm going to definitely give it a recommend. It's that it benefits from having the lowest of expectations. Not only is this the best Turtles movie I can remember ever seeing, I think it's the best Transformers movie I've ever seen. <laughs> this might be the best thing Michael Bay has ever been associated with. I'd have to see Pain and Gain again to be sure, but above the stuff I've watched of his, which is not much other than what's been covered on these podcasts, I would say that this is it. Which is not to say that I think it's great. I mean, I think I'm really coming off as overly endorsing of this movie when, in fact, it's just competent. It's like watching this $200 million Rube Goldberg with all these spinning parts all to, like, 
just put together a perfectly ordinary hamburger. I mean, this is just a hamburger. It is a fast food meal. There's nothing special about this at all. But so many times this goes wrong, right? I mean, so many times you just get E. coli in your burger, or I think I said in Deadpool, <laughs> it was just all ketchup with no burger at all. So it's just amazing that we have an ordinary sandwich before us. And I think competence is being probably guiding my enthusiasm here. It is something that I would show children easily, and I think they would enjoy it a lot, and I don't think adults would hate it. Do I think that ultimately this is something I want to see continue? Well, no, I didn't grow up watching this. I didn't buy the toys. I'm not really sure, even if I did, why I would want to keep seeing movies that bring my childhood toys to life. But if that's something you like to do, I think this movie does it well. So that's a Green Arrow and an honest one. Whereas I might have given Green Arrows before, this is a legitimate, I think it's a well-made movie. And I'm going to agree with you. Notice that at the end of Now Playing, I never say, Jacob Stewart, did you like this movie? Because personal <laughs> taste is very subjective. The question is, do you recommend this movie? And in many cases, as a critic, it has to be more than I liked this movie, I didn't like this movie. I'll say right now, even though I did grow up with Turtles, it was my later childhood, but they were definitely a part of my childhood. I definitely had a lot of toys and a few comics. This movie isn't for me. This movie is too spastic and too hyperactive, honestly. And I like action movies and I like exciting movies, but this one was oof, a little much for me to take. But you know what? I think it succeeded in everything it tried to do. As a movie aimed at a very young set of kids, I think it succeeded. As a fix for what went wrong with the last movie, I think they succeeded. They didn't have high aspirations with this film. So, I mean, obviously recommendations are very subjective. If you're the kind of person who longs for the glory days of Anthony Hopkins starring in Miramax films, you'd never go see this anyway. But for a Turtles film, especially one that's going to harken back to the comics so much and bring back Krang and Bebop and Rocksteady, that's going to tickle my sweet spot a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to give this a recommend, even if I never want to see it again. It succeeded in what it tried to do. On the way back, I was talking to my Uber driver, and he's like, oh, what movie did you see? And I had to kind of laugh knowingly that I was about to give a really stupid answer when I told him I went to see Mutant Ninja Turtles. And he goes, oh, how was it? I'm going to be see it, taking it with my kid tomorrow. And I go, you know what? Your kid is going to love this movie. And I suggest seeing it in 3D because the 3D was really well done. So I recommended it to my Uber driver and I recommend it to my listeners. And I don't think it's torture if you don't care about it because I'm the guy that doesn't care about Turtles and I thought it was just fine. I mean, for what this thing is, we've seen this movie a million different times and a lot of times it ends up a lot worse. I Again, I think that this is the best one. I can't remember the other ones to really rank it, but I think that this would easily outpace anything I had seen before, and I really can't think of another one that would even be a close second. I don't think it's as good as part one, the very first one, the Jim Henson one. The 1990 movie. Yeah, I definitely think it's the second best Turtles movie ever made, except for that one where they all cross over in the animated thing. That's really the number one still. <laughs> 
But we didn't cover that because it was direct to video. Oh, that. Okay, yes. Okay, I thought you meant the animated thing we did watch. I'm like, no. <laughs> well, you're the only one that didn't like that one, though. Really? Oh god. Yeah. Did you guys really like any of those movies? Really? Yes. Legitimately. Okay. All right. Well, then that's fair. I watched the 91 again since. I was definitely grading on a curve when I gave my green arrows in the series beforehand. But I think that this is a fair green arrow. A mild one, but I sound like I'm jumping up and down with glee just to get there. Yeah, you you do sound very ecstatic over this one. Because I thought I was going to see the worst movie of the year, and it ended up being just fine. Well, you've got Conjuring next week. That's the worst movie of the year, right? Maybe for Arnie. I mean, we'll see. You know what? I feel about Conjuring the way Stuart felt about Turtles. It was the one series that I really just have not found any enjoyment in with Conjuring, with Annabelle, with that horrible self-published book I read. But if Stuart can find true enjoyment in a Turtles movie, maybe I can find (laughs) some of the Conjuring. I'm going to go in with that open mind. I don't know that we're going to get any more Turtles movies, at least in this Bay universe, though. I mean, we're recording on the Friday night, so we don't have all the facts in front of us. But everything that I'm reading about speculation is this movie is tanking. It's making half of what the original did. And unless it does do killer in China and bigger than it did in China with the last movie, this is not going to be profitable enough. Paramount may be having a very bad summer indeed if this and Star Trek go the way that the prognosticators are predicting. And that's a shame because the last one probably didn't deserve a sequel and this one might. Yeah, that's the <laughs> irony is what now they finally have they finally have their stuff together and nobody wants to buy it anymore. It's the boy who cried wolf. Yeah, I'd much rather see a sequel to this film than a sequel to the last one. Well, that's a shame. I would like to see Krang and Bebop and Rocksteady return. I'd like more Krang. I really would. It's weird that they brought him to life. I did love when they called him Bubble Yum, though. I mean, there was some funny stuff going on with him, and yeah. Krang is too good for this movie, frankly. I They should have saved <laughs> something that cool for a better concept, but oh well. Put him in a Terry Gilliam film. Well, speaking of anthropomorphized animals and things that came from Jim Henson since the first Ninja Turtles did. Last Friday, we reviewed Labyrinth as part of our gold donation series. And this week, we've got another one coming up, the fifth of our summer of 1986 series, Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, the fourth collaboration between John Carpenter and Kurt Russell. It's a crazy movie. I mean, it's just like Turtles. We're going to talk about it, but I don't know that we'll ever understand it. Uh, We're going to try, though, this Friday. Yeah, it's got more kung fu and ninja action than the movie we just watched. I'll tell it that. And that's all part of our donation drive. Twice a year, we look to you guys. We're kind of like PBS. We have no sponsors. We have no ads. We have no corporate funding. We aren't going to plug Pizza Hut like the Mutant Ninja Turtles do. So we ask you guys to help support our show. We are truly publicly funded by our listeners. If you guys don't support us, we don't do our show. So we ask you guys twice a year to donate. And the more you donate, the more bonus podcasts is what you get. And as I always say, we could be giving away tote bags or t-shirts or water bottles like PBS. Bags of hot air. (laughs) We think the best reward we can give 
is reviewing more movies. And so, yes, for $10 or more, we've done the three Men in Black. She'll get those immediately after your donation is processed. And coming up soon, Independence Day 1 and 2, $25 or more. We've got the first four 1986 films out and two more to go. Big Trouble in Little China, Night of the Creeps still to come. $35 or more. We're also going to do all three Ghostbusters films leading up to the release of the new Ghostbusters film coming out in July. We hope you can donate. All the details can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate or by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage, nowplayingpodcast.com. So Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. We'll be back next week with Conjuring 2. And until then, cowabunga, dude. We have had our first battle, Master Splinter. They were many, but we kicked... We fought well. I suggest we all meditate now on the events of this evening. Thank you for listening to this episode of the now-playing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Retrospective Series. Money cannot buy the honor which you have earned. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Will I ever see you guys again? Well, that depends on how fast you stock your pizza. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another movie review. It's going to be quite a party. Well, what do we do now? In the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find many more reviews on series such as G.I. Joe, Transformers, Tron, Terminator, Star Trek, Spider-Man, The Avengers, and more. Okay, Turtles, let's move out. You can also find individual movie reviews such as Avatar, Fight Club, Godzilla, Pacific Rim, and more. I knew it, I'm missing all the fun. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. We will find you. Yeah, we'll find you. I'm sorry, that came across super creepy, okay? <laughs> we will find you. Oh, he who takes the shell must pay. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. I must warn you, we do not come cheap. Does it look like money is of any concern to me? You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Maybe I should write this down. Now Playing's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series is edited by Heath and Arnie. Our domain is the shadow. Stray from it reluctantly. For when you do, you must strike hard and fade away without a trace. Now Playing credit narration by Brock. You certainly can turn a phrase, my lord. Now Playing is not affiliated with Mirage Studios, Playmates Toys, New Line Cinema, Imaji Animation Studios, Warner Brothers Pictures, Nickelodeon Movies, or Platinum Dunes Entertainment. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and all that the TMNT universe contains is the property of Nickelodeon, a subsidiary of Viacom, and no infringement is intended. What does all that mean in American? The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Inganza Media Incorporated. Your mouth may yet bring you much trouble. Shut it. 
Now playing is the Venganza Media Production. Copyright 2016. All rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Well, dude, I'd say that's pretty much a wrap. Yep. Uh, uh Cowabunga? Cowabunga. Yeah. Yeah. Cowabunga. I'll say this. This new director, David Green, I, I've seen one other film of his, Earth to Echo. Well, he's only made one other film. <laughs> You've seen his whole catalog. <laughs> yes, I'll restate that then. Like, I haven't had an audience this young since I saw, like, the Winnie the Pooh movie that came out in 2001. You saw the Winnie the Pooh what? movie? <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's kind of mildly scandalous now. All right, we'll get to that when we do that retrospective, but all right, yeah. I was dating Marjorie, trying to put on a good face. She was babysitting, and we decided to all go to the Pooh movie, My Treat. <laughs> the Pooh movie. I get ya. <laughs> I knew it. I'm missing all the fun. Baxter decides to fire an experimental teleportation device, which sh which sends Shredder... That is hard to say. Which sends Shredder... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, particularly for a G-rated audience. <laughs> <laughs> this is PG-13 again. Oh, that is true. <laughs> I double-checked, yeah, because it doesn't feel it this time. Yeah, I don't know where that 13 was in this movie. It was, it was like a hard G rating in my mind, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, them jumping out of the plane, the, the irony that Rafe... Rafe. The irony that Raph is... They've reached that as the compromise. Rafe himself said... I keep wanting to say Rafe because of Rafe Fines. damn it. Raph himself says... Awesome! <laughs> Krang is too good for this movie, frankly. I, they should have saved something that cool for a better concept, but oh well. Put him in a Terry Gilliam film. But can we talk about Monster Truck? <laughs> Monster Truck looks amazing. <laughs> like, that movie looks amazing. Oh my god, Monster Truck. People, I don't even know what to say when I saw that trailer. It's very literal. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it go right now and YouTube that. That is why it's so amazing. <laughs> YouTube the hell out of that. This was one of those trailers that was a little fuzzy, but I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I couldn't either. I totally want to see that movie. January release. It, it reminded me of nothing so much as a very expensive remake of The Skateboard Kid, which was about a kid with a talking skateboard voiced by Dom DeLuise in 1987. And I'm like, I haven't seen a movie this bug nuts since that movie. It looks amazing. Amazing. I felt like it didn't leave much to the imagination, though. I kind of know how it's going to end. Uh, I, I was bewildered, and I could not believe that so much money and effort had been put into that. That trailer may have put me in a good mood to accept like this full-on crazy cartoon <laughs> Turtles movie. I'll be honest. It let me know it could be a lot worse. I'll tell you that. I'm trying to find what my closing line was from the show. Does anyone remember? No. Oh, no. She, I don't remember the movies, much less your lines. Awesome! Poor Havoc. Did you know that was Havoc in the thing? He's not going to be in the next X-Men movie, but he's going to be in Monster Truck. Oh, that's why he looks familiar. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he's the new MacGyver this fall on, NBC, on CBS. Is he the new MacGyver? He is. Is that why he had the bullet in uh, <laughs> X-Men? I believe so. Righteous!